So why don't you turn with me in your Bibles uh, to the book of 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, because that just come up out of my spirit there when I was praying. And so let's, uh, let's just give it a second and read that before I get to my message. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Whatsoever is born of God. That means whatsoever God has authored overcomes. If God authored it, it has to win. Overcome means to win, to have victory. So when God authors something, it has to win. Now have a look with me briefly, if you don't mind. Again, this was not an expected or planned, but it come up out of my spirit when I was praying. And I've learned when the Holy Ghost quickens something, just pause whatever, whatever else you had planned and just, just yield to that for a second because he obviously wants to emphasize something. And, uh, and many times you'll get that over to me spontaneously uh, while I'm standing here as opposed to beforehand. For Revelations chapter 1 verse 20 the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven gold and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Another word is lampstand or candlestick. So these candlesticks represent the church. Now there were seven churches here that we read about in Revelation, but it's not just referring to those seven churches. It's referring to any church in the church age that God has authored. So the seven candlesticks or lampstands represent the church. And then of course, you've got seven stars that represent the angel. Now, of course, that word angel there uh, and, and different theologians argue about this, but it's the Greek word angelos. And it means literally an angel, a messenger, or by implication, a pastor. And so theologians argue, is this talking about a pastor or is this talking about an angel? Well, I know that Dr. Dufresne, the Lord uh, dealt with Dr. Dufresne once about this, and also another minister uh, that Dr. Dufresne used to know years ago who, who wrote uh, a book about this, actually. Um, and uh, and he, Jesus had appeared to that other minister, but the Holy Ghost also dealt with Dr. Dufresne uh, personally about this. That other minister, Jesus, appeared to him about this verse, uh, and he was, was talking to him. And I believe this is right, what I'm saying, and what Dr. Dufresne believed, I believe it's right, that this verse is talking about both an angel and a pastor. If it was talking about a church, a church, whether back then or now, it's church is a gathering of people, an ecclesia, people that have gathered together. You have to have a pastor. An angel can't pastor a church. So it obviously has to be referring to a pastor and the Greek word says pastor. But why did God not say the word pastor? Why did he say angel? Because I believe and Dr. Dufresne believed and Jesus appeared to that minister that Dr. Dufresne trusted years ago and said this to him that, that the reason it says angel here is because if it said pastor only, people would disregard the angelic side of things. So it says angel, which really means both. If you're going to pick one word to cover both camps, both categories, if you just say pastor, it would leave out the angel part in people's minds because they would think human. But if you say angel, that, that original word in the Greek angelos means messenger, one that brings glad tidings, and it means an angel and it also means by implication, a pastor, because a pastor also brings glad tidings. So if you want to cover both categories, 
it's better to use the word angel because that would cover not just, uh, not just the angel, like the supernatural angelic beings, but if you look at the original, it also means pastor. And if you take it in logical, just logical, this is talking about a church. Angels can't be pastors of churches. Obviously, human pastors have to pastor churches. So I believe God used the word angel very masterfully here because it's referring, obviously, uh, to a physical person, and the Greek, impl- the Greek says that, but also to the angel angelic host to the actual angel, that angelic being that is assigned to each candlestick, a star assigned to a candlestick, an angel assigned to a church. And of course, in chapter two, verse five, not that just, just so you can see it here. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. So what God is saying here is in chapter one, verse 20, he says that what he's, what we see here are churches that God has established, put a candlestick and put a star. That's a pastor and an angel. But now we also see in chapter two, verse five, that God says, I can remove, if you don't repent, if you don't do right, I can remove the candlestick or the church out of its place, which means God authors churches and God ends churches. He is not just the author and finisher of our faith, he's also the author and finisher of local churches. God can author a church and birth a church, and if that church doesn't act right, God can actually take his anointing, take take the place that they occupy in the spirit, take it away from them, and then they're just a hollow shell. Now they can keep meeting for, for a period of time, forever actually, they could keep meeting for years, but not occupy a place in the spirit, not have an angel assigned to them, and whatever pastor's there is really out of the will of God, because if God's taken the anointing off, the pastor shouldn't be there, but many pastors don't know any, any of the stuff to do with the Holy Ghost, and they don't know how to be led by the Holy Ghost, so they're just in it for a job and a paycheck. But when God takes his anointing, when God removes the candlestick, that means he takes the church, the spiritual church, out of its place. That's how the wording is in chapter 2, verse 5. What does that mean? They have a place in the spirit. They occupy a place when God authors it. When he removes that, they no longer occupy that place in the spirit. He takes his anointing off them. He also takes that angel away from them, and now they're a a shallow, a, a hollow husk that are operating religiously with a pastor that's not anointed, that doesn't occupy a place in the spirit with no angelic assistance, and that church accomplishes nothing, typically nothing. God will still love them. He will still bless them as far as he can. But if, because it's not birthed and authored by God, the church will not be sustaining. It will not grow and it will not continue and take ground for the kingdom of God. I say all that to say this, when the Holy Ghost quickened that in my spirit, that whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and then about the candlestick, what what is the Holy Ghost getting over to me uh, this evening, unexpected and unplanned? He's reminding me, and therefore he's reminding you, that promise of life was birthed by God, whatever is born of God. God set the candlestick, that means he birthed it and he authored this church. He set us in the realm of the spirit, he set us in a place, he gave us a seat of authority and he put us, he caused us to occupy a place in the spirit. And because we have, there's the anointing on us, it's birthed of God. We occupy a place in the spirit. We have a seat of authority that Dr. Summer would call it a seat of authority. We have a seat of authority. We occupy a place in the spirit. God authored it and birthed it. And he put an angel over this church and he put me as the pastor in this church. And therefore it is supernatural and therefore it is born of God, authored and created and birthed of God. Therefore, whatsoever is born of God cannot be overcome. 
whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. Let's read that one more time. First John chapter five and verse four. First John chapter five and verse four. And the Bible says, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So if you're born of God as an individual Christian, because you're born of the Spirit, you're born again, you overcome the world. Why? What overcomes the world? Your faith. But a local church, as in terms of not just the individual people that make it, but the fact that the church is even there to begin with, that is also born of God if God places the candlestick and puts a pastor and an angel over it and causes them to occupy a place in the Spirit and have a seat of authority. That is born of God. That means the church, individual members may leave or come or whatever, but the local church that God has birthed whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. That means promise of life is going to overcome no matter what, no matter when, no matter, no matter what is thrown at us, whether it's something simple. And this really is in the bigger picture. What we're going through is very simple. It's, it's minimal. It's not, we're not in the countries where they're persecuting us, where they're arresting us, where they're, where they're, where they're killing us or stoning us. I mean, there's a lot of places in the world that church has it a lot harder than us. But I mean, so this is pretty simple what we're going through. Our, 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 our schedules and routines have been upheaved a little bit and we have to use our faithful finances a little bit more than we normally do and we can't see each other. All of that while annoying and disturbing and upsetting is certainly not like the pastors that I hear uh, brother, brother David Hogan talk about in Russia. I won't say the city's name because he doesn't want me to, but where he goes and, and, uh, and the pastors there are under constant threat and the government is attacking and harassing and putting them in prison, not to mention the North Korean church, not to mention the Chinese underground church. I mean, our problems are very small compared to what our brothers around the world face on a daily basis. We're just not used to anything uh, different. And so it's, it, 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 it bothers us. But I'm telling you, it's a small thing compared to what other people are going through. And we need to keep things in perspective so that we remember that uh, we're going to get through this and it's going to be okay. But I felt the Holy Ghost wanted me to remind you tonight that because this church has been birthed and born of God, because he placed the candlestick, he caused us to have a seat of authority. He gave us a, he gave us a place in the spirit to occupy because he burst it. It's going to overcome. Nothing is going to cause promise of life church to close because if it's born of God, which it is, if the anointing is on it, which it is, if a pastor and an angel is assigned to it, which there are, we will overcome. And because you're part of it, that means you're going to overcome. So I want you to be encouraged tonight. Praise God. I want you to remember, I just felt prompted to remind you of this, that during that first year, we started in October the 7th, 2008. And uh, in 2009, we had Dr. Dufresne coming. We didn't have a building. We were still meeting in the Morris home. And so we rented a facility in Oakville, a precious pastor out there uh, who let us use his building for, a, I think it was a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night, if I remember correctly, three days. I remember it was three services. And Dr. Dufresne was coming and we were preparing for that and advertising and everything. And I knew that was an important, in the realm of the spirit, that would be an important meeting because I, I didn't know everything fully, but I had a sense because there was such an attack against us when we started. And uh, God has since 
uh, repaired relationships with other pastors that were upset with us and jealous and felt intimidated by us. Um, but God has since repaired those relationships, praise God. But back then, you know, there they, they was a lot of attack. People didn't want us, certain pastors didn't want us to start a church in Canada, didn't mind us going to the States, but didn't want us to start something here and uh, would, 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 would lie, would try to talk to people and lie about me and this and that and everything else. And it was a, it was a difficult time. I remember that, uh, that season from October 08 until about July, uh, end of July, uh, so all of October, November, December, and then those seven months from January to July. Uh, so that would have been about a 10 month period. I remember that time uh, very, very clearly. Uh, it, and and it, was a, it was rough. And uh, we went through quite a lot in that time. And I remember at one point, Dr. Dufresne called me. I worked at customs. I wasn't allowed to have my phone on. So I had it off until my break time. And when I checked it, my cell phone, there was like 12, 13 or whatever it was, a crazy high number of missed calls. And Dr. Dufresne didn't call people very often. When he did, he expected you to pick up. And uh, of course, there was a number, numerous messages. Where are you? I'm calling. Where are you? So I called him back and, uh, you know, he, he was a bit grumpy with me because he thought I was, whatever. I said, sir, I'm at work. I can't have my phone on. And he goes, okay, okay. And he said, I need to tell you. He said, I won't give you all the details until I come into, I uh, see you in person. But I want you to know that I was going to cancel my trip there up to preach for you because the, of all this firestorm uh, and other ministers, higher ministers and other ministries were hearing about it because the people attacking us were lying about us to Rayma and to different people. And so high ranking ministers were aware of it and they don't know me. And so Dr. Dufresne was caught in the middle and uh, he knew that pastor well and loved that pastor as well and, and didn't want to cause problems in the body of Christ. And he had decided for the sake of peace that he would not come and that he would kind of distance himself from me. But God knew my heart. God knew that I was doing this uh, from a pure place. I was not trying in any way, shape, or form to do anything wrong. I didn't even want to be a pastor, and I certainly didn't want a pastor in Canada. So, I mean, this was not my idea to begin with. God himself spoke to me and said, you will, you will be a pastor. You will start your ministry pastoring, and it will grow from there, and you will start in Canada, and you won't take over a church. You'll plant one in your home, and that's what you'll do. And so it wasn't my idea. God, God birthed that. And, and then there's attack, because when you open a new door, there's, there's myriads of attack, 1 Corinthians 69 tells us. And so he, he was going, and I, I needed, I, I needed that spiritual fatherhood, still do. But then, especially and with all that newness and the fragility of it and the attacks, I needed, I needed somebody to stand with me and to put their stamp of approval. So when he said that, my heart sank. And, uh, and, and I said, well, because he gave me a list of adjectives that people had been saying about me, that I was a snake and a liar and a thief and this and that. And he said, how do you, how do you respond to all of those accusations? And I said, sir, I have no response. I said, God knows, and God is my judge. He knows that every word that you have said that these people have accused me of are a lie, that I, am not, I have not done anything that, of what they've said, and God is my judge, and the Holy Ghost is my defense counsel. And if God doesn't speak to you, sir, then there's nothing I can do because I can't convince you because I'm just a whippersnapper and I'm young and uh, I, I, God is, I have to fall upon God. Only he can help me. And he said, well, he said, uh, I wanted to know how you responded to those accusations. And he said, let me tell you how I was responding. And I said, yes, sir. He said, I decided 
that I was canceling my trip to see you, and my heart sank. I mean, I remember exactly where I was, where I was standing, and I just put my head down. My heart just felt like it just hit the bottom of my stomach. And he paused, and he said, that's what I had decided to do. He said, but I have changed my mind. And I lifted up my head, and, and, and my heart came back into me. And, and he said, but I, have dis- but I have changed my mind. He said, we will keep the meetings as normal. He said, advertise. He said, let's get a good crowd. And he said, I will talk to you about the details in person when I see you. And fast forward a few couple of weeks later, we had the meeting that was in early, late, late June or so. And then early July, he came and uh, Mitch was there and Mitch would hang up his suits, you know, his pilot and his assistant. And we were at the, 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 the hotel and he said, Mitch, brother, when you've done that, just leave the room. I need to talk to Pastor Craig privately. And Mitch left the room and he said, sit down on that bed. And I sat down on that bed. I remember I was so, I was so nervous because, you know, the fire of God was in his eyes. And Dr. Dufresne was a little intimidating to begin with, but especially when that anointing was on him like that. And this is his first time. I'd seen him at camp meeting and everything, but his first time here, you know, at my invitation. And, uh, and he stood, I, I was on the edge of, you know, the, the corner of the bed. I was sitting on the corner of the bed, you know, facing out. And, and he was standing opposite me, above me. And he pointed his finger at me and he said, I decided to cancel the meetings for your church. And I told you that on the phone because of the accusations. And I don't want to cause disunity in the body of Christ. And he said, I don't know you. And I do know the other people that are accusing you. And I've known them for a long time. And I haven't known you for a long time known you for about a, less than a year. Because remember, we only hooked up with him in September 08, a month before we started the church. So he said, I, I don't have a lot of history with you. And so I decided I was going to cancel it. But uh, in my heart, I knew that you were innocent by the bearing of the witness of the Holy Ghost, that you were innocent, even though I didn't have the history with you. I knew you were innocent and I knew what they were saying was wrong, but I still decided to not come because I don't want to be caught in the middle of a war. And then he looked at me and he pointed his fingers at me and he said these words. He said, but I was in the hotel room and I decided I wasn't coming. And I said, God, he said, I was sitting at the end on the edge of the bed in the hotel room. I guess one of the other hotel rooms in the States. And he said, I said, God, I'm not going to go. I believe that young man's innocent. I can't prove it, but I believe he's innocent, but I'm not going to go because I don't want to be in the middle of a problem and cause disunity and division with other senior members in the body of Christ. And he said, as I said those words, an angel walked through the wall of the hotel room and stood in front of me. And the angel said, I have come from the presence of God to bring a message for you. And he pointed his finger at him and he said, you will go to that church and you will preach. And he turned around and he walked back through the wall. And I'm telling you, when Dr. Dufresne said that, man, you could, the atmosphere in that room, I mean, it was so charged with, with, the, with the, the presence of God and with the anointing of God. I mean, I, I, I was afraid to breathe. It was so powerful in that hotel room when he told me that. And he looked at me and he said, I don't know much about you, He said, I'm still getting to know you. We've not even known each other a year. He said, but I want you to know something, Craig. I said, yes, sir. I was trembling. I said, yes, sir. He said, God Almighty himself has affirmed you. He said, I know you wanted me to come to put my stamp of approval on you, and I will, 
and that's why I'm here. But he said, there's someone greater that has put their stamp of approval on you, bigger than me. He said, God Almighty, God, the God of the universe, God the Father has sent an angel from his presence to give me an instruction to not cancel my trip to promise of life, but to go and to preach. And he said, for God Almighty to send an angel, that kind of a dramatic gesture shows that God Almighty was, is putting his stamp of divine approval on you. And he said, that does not mean you're perfect, and that does not mean you've never made mistakes or that you won't make mistakes. He said, but God Almighty is approving you, and I am here as his prophet and as his spokesperson to declare and to proclaim that approval in this set of meetings. And that was it. He said, okay, you can go, pick me up later. <laughs> and I left that room, and I got down in my car, and I lifted up my hands, and I said, Father, you know that there was no way I could defend myself. There's no way I could prove it, but you know my heart. And I said, Father, the fact that not only did you send your prophet, your man, but the fact that you personally have approved of this church by sending your angel to the prophet to commend him to come and, and preach, meaning to put a stamp of approval by preaching. I said, Father, I'll never forget that as long as I live. And no matter what comes, and no matter what tests and trials we face, and no matter how many people hate us or attack us or accuse us falsely or this or that or whatever problems we ever go through, I said, Father, I will always remember that at our inception point, at our most fragile moment, without even having a building, with all these people against us and the lies that are swirling around us and even the man of God willing to back away and distance himself from us, I said, at our most fragile moment, Father, you sent your angel, you divinely intervened, you dramatically intervened into the ordinary course of nature and made sure that I knew both supernaturally and through this man's mouth that your approval is on this church. And I said, Father, I will never, until the day I'm raptured, I will never forget that you have, you have stamped us, you've branded us with your approval mark. So when I tell you promise of life, that God set this candlestick. He set Promise of Life Church in place. He caused us to occupy a place. He's given us a divine seat of authority in the realm of the Spirit. He's assigned an angel, and I've only seen him one time. But he was standing in the middle of this pulpit, when the pulpit was over there like normal, he was, which is right underneath, the, there's a speaker on, attached to the roof, and, and he was standing right in the middle, like he, like he was standing in, literally inside the pulpit, and his head went up to the beam, the top beam there, which is about, I don't know, 10, 11, I think, I don't know, 10, 11 feet, something like that. Uh, it's tall. And, uh, and he was the largest, I, I've never seen a, I've never seen a, 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 a human, not a human, he's an angel, but I've never seen a being, that's the word I'm looking for, larger in my life. I mean, just ginormous, just like a giant, really like a giant. And he was standing in the pulpit and uh, I've only seen him one time. God let me catch a glimpse of him one time. But, uh, but I know that's the angel that is assigned to this church. And then, of course, I'm the pastor assigned to this church. So I want you to know something, Promise of Life. It don't matter what comes. It don't matter what attack. 
It doesn't matter if there is religious persecution in the future. What they say, what they do, if they try to attack, if they try to hurt, if they try to jail, if they try to assault, if they try to stone us, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what comes. This coronavirus is a blip on the screen. It doesn't matter what comes. God birthed this church. He approves of us. And whatever God births overcomes the world. So we are, we are going over. Nothing can stop us and nothing can hold us back. And I don't just mean as a corporation, Promise of Life, as, as, as a church. I mean every individual person that makes up, every human that makes up Promise of Life local church. That's you that are watching me. If the church is going to overcome and you are the church, it means you are going to overcome and nothing can stop us. So whatever you're feeling, whatever emotions you're going through during this unusual time, remember, keep them in check, keep in faith, keep in joy, because it's a blip and we're supernatural and we're going to overcome no matter what we're going to overcome. Glory to God. Hallelujah. You know, I have one thing to share with you and it's not very long. And I said to the Lord on the way down, I said, Lord, I don't know. You've got to give me something else because I, what, what, what I got to share with them isn't very long. It's, 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 it's just one simple thought that you dropped in my heart that you wanted me to communicate. I said, but Lord, I don't really have anything else. I haven't been able to build. Nothing else came up in my heart to build onto that sermon to make it full length. And I said, Lord, I don't know. Maybe we'll just do a really short service tonight because I, I know when there's nothing else and I can't make and force it because then that will be in the flesh. I said, maybe we'll just have an ultra short service because what I've got is just very short. I didn't know that the Holy Ghost was going to come on me as I prayed and have me encourage you and remind you about the supernatural birthing uh, quality, the supernatural quality of our church. It's been born of God. God has placed us. Praise God. That's why he didn't give me anything more to add to the sermon to make it normal length because he knew the first 15, 20, 30 minutes I was going to encourage you. I didn't know it until I was praying, but I was going to encourage you about the supernatural birth of this church. And that means if you're in it, not only are you born of God as a believer, you could go to any church you want. You're still a born of God in your spirit. You're born of God. That means you have to overcome. But if you are a born again spirit, which you are, but in this church, which is also born of God. A lot of Christians are in churches that are dead. The Christian is born of the spirit, but the church is, is a born of the flesh. And that Christian wonders why they don't grow and produce and, and, and have victory in their life because they're born of God. They have the ability to overcome, but where they're planted and where they're, where they're, where they're supposed to be learning and flowing and growing, it's dead. There's, there's no life in it. There's no anointing. There's no, there's no candlestick. And so, and so their, their growth is, is, is stunted. But when you're born of the Spirit as a, as a believer and you're in a church born of the Spirit, you're in a candlestick birthed by God then it's like a double explosion. Not only do you in, in, in and of your own spirit have the ability to overcome, but you're in an env environment and atmosphere and flowing with a vision that is birthed of God that is going to overcome. And you get a double hit combination. I'm telling you, it's powerful. So I want to encourage you. You are going to overcome personally, and we're going to overcome as a church. Praise God, praise God, praise God. I'm not going to say it now, but uh, the Lord did give, tell me to say something on Sunday morning. This is not the message or the sermon, but there's an announcement I need to make on Sunday morning. And I decided not to make it until all this was over and we were back together in person. But the Lord dealt with me today and he said, no, son. He said, I want you to 
uh, I want you to announce that announcement on Sunday. So I'm not going to get into it now, but it's real, 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 real important that you all watch Sunday. That whether it's hopefully live, that would be better. But if not, then listen to it later in the day. But it's important you, you watch Sunday service because I'm going to not just share the word with you, but I'm going to share an important announcement with you that I think uh, that I think is important for all of you to hear so that you know what God would have you do and what your role to play will be in that announcement. Praise God. Well, I want to I wanna just share this again. I don't have much. It's not going to be long, but I want to just share very quickly now with you um, just one verse of Scripture that God gave me, and, and really it's only, it's only one, but I believe it's what God wants you to hear. So 2 Chronicles chapter 14, 2 Chronicles chapter 14, if you'd be so kind as to turn there. 2 Chronicles chapter 14, Praise the Lord. Second Chronicles chapter 14 and verse 1. Now let me say this. These first few verses God gave me in South Korea. Remember God said to me, what's going to mark Hebron starting in 2020. He said some things to me. He said, when you're there, he said, there's going to be an increase of prayer. There's going to be an increase of numbers. That's the growth of the church. And there's going to be an increase of finances. And he said those things, but he gave me a scripture to back that statement up, which is this, what I'm about to read you. But then, then a couple days ago, even though this is the scripture he gave me from South Korea in about 2020 in general, but a couple days ago, he gave me something extra from the same chapter that applies right now to what we're facing with coronavirus. So I know I mentioned to you about what God said in South Korea, but I don't think I ever read you the scripture that he gave to back that up. So let's read this because this first few verses represent this season of Hebron 2020. Nothing to do with this attack of Corona, just this season in general of Hebron 2020. Uh, th this is what God said to me. And I want you to watch here because remember, he said to me, there'd be an increase of prayer, an increase of numbers, growth, and an increase of finances. And so now watch this. So uh, Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David, and Asa his son reigned in his stead. In his days, this is Second Chronicles chapter 14, verse 1. In his days the land was quiet ten years, and Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. For he took away the altars of the strange gods and the high places and break down the images and cut down the groves and commanded Judah to seek. Now watch now. See this. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord. What did God say to me? There'd be an increase in prayer. That's seeking the Lord. And commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to do or obey the law of the commandment and the commandment. And he took away out of all the cities of Judah, the high places and the images, and the kingdom was quiet before him. And he built, did you see this? Built. What did God say to me? There'd be an increase of prayer and there'd be an increase in growth. God was referring to numbers. Eventually it will be a building too, physical building, but he was referring to numbers, growth in numbers, the congregation growing larger. And here we see that Asa built now, he was building buildings as well, but, but this represents building is growth. It's increase. And I believe this is specifically referring to the numbers, symbolically, the type and shadow for us is not just a building, although God is giving us a building. So that applies because the physical building is coming at this time too, but that growth of numbers are coming in this season. And, uh, and the Bible says, and he built, verse six, fenced cities in Judah for the land had rest. 
So in other words, there was increase. And he had no war in those years because the Lord had given him rest. Therefore he said unto Judah, let us build these cities and make about them walls and towers, gates and bars, while the land is yet before us. Because we have sought the Lord, that's prayer, uh, the Lord our God, we have sought him and he has given us rest on every side. Watch. So they built and prospered. Now that verse seven, the end of verse seven is what God spoke to me in South Korea. He said, because they sought the Lord, he said, they sought the Lord. What they did is they built that was increase and they prospered that was finance. And the Lord said to me, there's going to be an increase of seeking the Lord and praying in this new season of Hebron 20. 20. And he said, as you begin to seek me like Asa, there's going to be an increase of numbers. That's the building. And there's going to be an increase of finances. That's the prospering. So God had given me that. Praise God. And so uh, I just reminding you that Hebron is here. 2020 is here. It, it's irrelevant what's happening right now with coronavirus. We're, we're in the year. And God said in this new season, the seven year period, there's going to be an increase of prayer, an increase of numbers, increase of finances. So quite frankly, I'm expecting, I'm expecting God's word to come to pass. And this little blip on the screen is an afterthought in my opinion. It's on a mountain. Coronavirus is a molehill. It's on a mountain. Okay. And so I believe in this season of 2020, we are going to see greater prayer than ever before in all of your lives. I can tell you that I'm leading by example. And so is my wife and that there's going to be greater uh, building of numbers. More people will join. Remember God said, believe me for 350 adults in this immediate season. And we're going to see prospering, which speaks of finances. Remember, God said, believe me for 35,000 a week in this immediate season. So I believe we're seeing that. And so I want to remind you, this is a time to pray. It's a time to grow, increase. It's a time to prosper. The church corporation is going to pray. We're going to have more prayer meetings as, as a corporate body. We're going to grow in numbers. We're going to prosper in finances. But you as an individual, you can claim this for yourself. If you will also increase your seeking God and your prayer time, then you can also claim that God will cause building and growth and increase in your, in your business because we're, we have numbers in our church, but in your business. So believe God for more clients, believe God for more customers, believe God for increase from that perspective in your business, whether you own the business or whether you work for somebody else, expect God's blessing to cause increase of numbers and prosperity, increase of finances for you personally, that you personally would prosper in this season. So remember, God said that about 2020, and we're holding fast to that. Regardless of this blip, we're holding fast to that. But now, watch this. This really blessed me, because uh, while, it, it's kind of interesting, while, uh, while Asa is prospering, he's seeking God, he's growing in numbers, he's growing in finances, okay? All of a sudden, and that's what has started January 1st, 2020. We started that. But all of a sudden, there's an interruption in Asa's life. And I, I think this is a, a beautiful parallel because there's an interruption. There's been an interruption in our lives with the COVID-19. And Asa, because remember, we technically, January 1st, we started 2020. We started seeking God more. We start, our numbers start growing. Our finances start growing. And that happened even in the first couple months. And we see that happening in this chapter chronologically in Asa's life, seeking God, building, that's increased, and increased financially because of prosperity. 
Now all of a sudden there's an interruption in Asa's life. Now watch this. And Asa had an army of men that bare targets and spears out of Judah, 300,000. And out of Benjamin that bears shield and drew bows, 204 score thousand. A score is 20. So four score is 80. So 204 score is 280. So add it up. 300,000, 280,000 is 580,000. That's how many warriors he had. All these were mighty men of valor. And there came out against them. See, he's got rest and peace and prosperity and building. All of a sudden, there's an interruption. An enemy shows up. And that's exactly like us. Here we are seeking God, growing, prosperity, and all of a sudden interruption shows up called coronavirus. And there came out against them Zerah, the Ethiopian, with a host of a thousand thousand. Do you know what a thousand thousand is? That's a million men. A thousand thousand is a million men. He had 580,000, and this guy comes with a million, almost double his numbers, overwhelming odds, no way they can win, plus 300 chariots. And they came unto Maresha. Then Asa went out against him, and they set the battle in array in the valley of Zephathah at Maresha. And Asa cried unto the Lord. And that word cried in the original language literally means to accost. You know, when you grab somebody and get their attention, he was very heartfelt and sincere and, and, and aggressive. He was accosting God, basically. He was, he was not going to be denied. He was going to have an answer one way or the other. That's the kind of cry that he made, the prayer that he made. And Asa cried unto the Lord his God and said, now watch this, Lord it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rest on thee. And in thy name we go against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God. Let not man prevail against thee. So the Lord smote the Egyptians, the Ethiopians, sorry, before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people that were with him pursued them unto Gerar, and the Ethiopians were overthrown, and they could not recover themselves, for they were destroyed before the Lord and before his host, and they carried away very much spoil, or trophies, rewards. And they smote all the cities round about Gerar, for the fear of the Lord came upon them, and they spoiled all the cities, for there was exceeding much spoil in them. And they smote also the tents of cattle, and carried away sheep and camels in abundance, and returned to Jerusalem. Now, I want you to notice verse 11, and this is really all I've got to share with you, and then we'll close. It's very short, but you've got to see this. It's power-packed. You've got to see this. And Asa cried to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Remember, this is the same thing that the armor-bearer, that, 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 that Jonathan said to his armor-bearer when they were going to go up and fight the garrison of the 20 Philistines. Remember, he said, there's no, uh, God is not limited. There, there's, there's no, um, there's, uh, let me, how, how did he word it here? There's, uh, it is nothing with thee to help, whether many or with those that have no power. In other words, he's saying, it is nothing for you to help, whether many or by few. And what Jonathan said to the armor bearer is, it, God is not limited to help, whether by many or by few. In other words, if there's a lot of us, 
God can, it's still God doing it. And Jonathan saying to his armor bearer, if it's just me and you, the two of us against 20, we're outnumbered 10 to one. If there's just the two of us, if it's God helping, it doesn't matter whether there's few or whether there's a big army because God's the one doing it. Now, this is the same thing that he's got 580,000, unlike, you know, just two, Jonathan and his armor bearer, but compared to the 580,000, there's a million 300 that are against them. Just like with Jonathan, there was 20 against two. Now there's a million and 300 against 580,000. It's still overwhelming odds. Whether it's two against 20 or 580 against a million 300, it's still overwhelming odds. And that's why he's saying the same thing that, uh, that Jonathan said. He said, Lord, it's nothing to thee. There's no limit to thee, whether to save by many or to save by few, meaning those that have no power, the weak ones. Whether there's a lot of us or a little of us, our, we're, we're trusting you. It's you that's going to do the victory victory, not us. So that's what, now watch this. Oh Lord, help us. Oh Lord, our God. Now watch this. For we rest on thee. Now remember what I preached Friday night about Hebrews chapter four and about the, 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 those that have labored to enter into rest. You fight the good fight of faith to enter into a place of rest. Listen to me. Faith starts always with a fight. Faith never ends with a fight, it ends with rest. If you're still fighting, you've never even gone the, past the halfway mark. The first part of faith is a fight, it's a stand. But you've got to get to the place where you leave that fight and you enter into a divine rest, a confident, quiet assurance that you know, 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 like you know your name, you know God is going to deliver you. God is going to manifest it because you've already received it without feeling or seeing it. You've already taken it by faith and you know it. When you get to that place of quiet, confident assurance, that's called rest. And remember Hebrews 4 says that there's a faith, the life of faith dash rest. It's a faith rest life. We're believing, but we're in peace about it. If you're like this, you're not in rest. Now this, when he says this statement, Help us, O Lord, for we rest on thee. What is he saying? What he's saying is, we believe you. It is a synonymous. It is, he's saying, to say I rest on you is the same as saying I have faith in you. Because when you have faith, you enter into rest. To say I rest on you means I believe you, I trust you. Because when you trust God, you'll enter into rest. So what he's saying here is, I trust you. I believe you. Let me just read you that because I know some of you, maybe uh, you forgot already or, or maybe you didn't listen to it or whatever the reason is. But let me read you very quickly Hebrews chapter 4 and I'm going to read it in the Passion Translation because it just says it so wonderfully. And it says, for those of us, verse 3, uh, who believe, faith activates the promise and we experience the realm of confident rest. Now, verse, verse uh, 8, now if this promise of rest was fulfilled when Joshua brought the people into the land, God wouldn't have spoken later of another rest yet to come. So in other words, it wasn't just fulfilled with Joshua, it's also for us today. So we conclude, verse 9, that there is still a full and complete rest waiting for believers to experience as we enter into God's faith rest faith-rest life, we cease from our own works just as God celebrates his finished works and rests in them. Verse 11, so then we must give our all and be eager to experience this faith-rest life 
so that no one falls short by following the same pattern of doubt and unbelief. You see, you are to labor, you are to work that faith walk, the good fight of faith, but you're going to labor to enter into that rest because there is, there is a rest for believers to experience. It's called the faith rest life. So keeping in mind about what rest means, now back to 2 Chronicles 14, 11, help us, O Lord, our God, for we rest on thee. What is he saying? We believe you. It's such a powerful phrase to say, Father, I'm resting because everything in you wants to... But if you're truly in faith, at first you're going to be aggressive. But if you're truly in, and I'm not saying that aggression ever leaves per se, but if you're truly in faith, you're going to get to the place where you lie back in that hammock. That doesn't mean because you're not pacing the floor and screaming that you're not in faith. In fact, to rest is the greatest form of faith. To rest in God, saying, Lord, everything the world tells me to do, everything my mind wants to try to tell me to do is to think and be anxious and to be nervous and and get all stressed out. But Father, the fact that I trust you so much means that I can rest in you. And the fact that I can rest is an act of great faith in you because there's nothing in the natural that would cause me to rest right now. But because I trust you so completely, I will rest and be at peace. My God, do you see it, my brother and sister? Do you see it? When he said, Lord God, help us, we rest on thee. That's saying we trust, we believe in thee. Now, here's the, here's the statement that you've got to hear that God quickened to me. In thy name, we go against this multitude, so we use the name of Jesus. Now watch this statement. It's so powerful, people miss it. O Lord, thou art our God. Let not man prevail against thee. Now it should write, he should have said, O Lord, thou art our God, let not man prevail against us. Because the men, the Ethiopians were fighting them. But he didn't say that, did he? He said, O Lord, thou art God, let not man prevail against thee. Do you see what Asa is saying? It's a such, it's, it's almost hidden. You gotta have the Holy Ghost reveal it to you. But when you see it, man, it, 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 it blows your mind. It flips your wig. What he's saying here is so powerful. He's saying, Lord, you are our God. Don't let man prevail against you. In other words, because they're against us, Father, you take it personally. If you let them beat us, they have also beaten you because we are yours. Do you see it? If you allow the enemy to have victory over us, then you are also allowing the enemy to have victory over you because we are born of you and our crest and confident assurance and trust and faith is in you. You must do this, not just for our name's sake, but for your name's sake, because if they beat us, they beat you. God, thou art our God. Let not man prevail against thee. I'm telling you, that jumped off the page. That was such revelation to me. And I heard the Holy Ghost in my heart say these words, son, when there are attacks against my church, they're against me. I take it personally. I have to deliver you because it's, they're not just against you. Those attacks are also against me. And because you are born of me as my child, like a natural father would protect their child with their own life, I must come to your defense because if it defeats you, it, it's, a, it's a blight on my name. 
And I said, Lord, is there another verse in the New Testament about this? And he gave me, he reminded me of on the road to Damascus with, with, when, when Saul w- saw Jesus. Well, he, he didn't technically see him, but the light shone and he heard his voice and he was blinded. But in that Damascus Road experience, remember, Paul had been attacking the church and Jesus said, Paul, Paul, Saul, Saul, why do thou persecutest me? What was Jesus saying? You are touching my church, but what's actually happening is you are persecuting me because I am the head of the church and they have been born of me. And if you touch them, you touch me. If you attack them, you attack me. If you persecute them, you persecute me. I take it personal. This is a New Testament equivalent of what we see here. As is saying, God, you're our God. Let not man prevail against thee. Lord, they're attacking us, but that means they're attacking you. Lord, they're, uh, they're warring against us. They're threatening us. They're intimidating us. But that means that they're doing that to you. You, because we're born of you, you must come to our defense. Because if they beat us, they also, your name will be smeared. Your name will have a blight on it. People in the earth will say, look, he couldn't even protect his own people. So God takes it personal when the church is touched. And I'm telling you, Promise of Life congregation, I'm speaking to you by the Spirit because this is from the Holy Ghost tonight. Man, I just love the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, I had this, but, but here without no knowledge and just totally by the gift of prophecy, here he starts part A of this message about being that we're born of God and we overcome. And then here is this second part of the message, which I knew before coming here tonight, that God takes it personal when, when the devil tries to attack his church. Like Jesus took it personal when Paul tried, Saul tried to touch his church. And God took it personal when these Ethiopians tried to touch his people, his, his holy nation, the, the Jews back then before the covenant, Israelites under Asa's leadership. God took it personal. Why? Because they were born of God. Asa and the Israelites were God's people. They're born of him. And God says, they says, you've got to defend us because if they overcome us, they overcome you because you birthed us. And it's, gonna, it's not going to be right. Everyone will mock you if, if you let them beat us, Father. We're born of you. You must come to our defense. And God looked down and he says, they are born of me. Therefore, I will come to their defense and I will make sure that they have victory and overcoming power made available to them. That's exactly what happened. And they overcame two to one odds and they overcame them. Why? Because when you're born of God, like I preached earlier, when you're born of God, you have to have overcoming victory. Why? This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So it's not enough to be born of God. You've got to be in faith in order to have overcoming victory. Now we see Asa was born of God from that perspective, that shadow and type. He was God's man with God's nation. They were born of God. Therefore, they have a right to overcome. And he said, I rest on you. I come in your name. Now you, they're attacking you. Defend me because they're attacking you. And God saw that faith. He knew they were born of him and he moved on their behalf and they overcame. This is exactly what 1 John 5, 4 says. Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So when you're born of God, you're going to overcome, but you've got to have faith in order to complete that overcoming. Asa said, I'm born of you now, and I have faith in you. I rest in you. Now, def- now defend me. Overcome in my behalf. And God did it. 
I'm telling you, now here comes the church called Promise of Life. And we say, God, we are born of you, not just individually as born again, powerful as that is, but also the church and the local body that we are in was also born of you. The candlestick was placed. It was instituted by your mighty power. You put your stamp on our church. Father, we are born individually and we are born corporately of you. Therefore, we must overcome. This thing is trying to touch our finances. It's trying to touch our, our way of life. Lord, it's not just attacking us. It's attacking you. You must deliver us because as your children that are born of you, we must overcome or it doesn't look right to the world. They'll look at you and they'll say, look, they have, their God has no power. So we're saying the same as Asa. Father, we're born of you. And this is what overcomes our faith. We rest and trust you. We're born of you individually and corporately. A lot of people can claim it individually, but not every church Christian can claim it corporately because not every church is born of God. I mean the actual corporation. But God, we individually and corporately are born of you. You've birthed us and we have faith in you. We rest on you. Now move in overcoming victory and power through us on our behalf. And he will, if he did it in a lesser covenant with lesser promises, he'll do it today in a better covenant with better promises. And if he did it for Asa, he'll do it for me and he'll do it for you and he'll do it for corporate promise of life and he'll do it for individual promise of life, each one of you personally and individually. He'll do it for us because that's his nature. If you're born of me, if you're my man and you have faith, I will, de I will deliver you. And we're saying, God, we, we are born of you. We have faith. Now let your delivering power come to our defense because they're not just attacking. This interruption is not just attacking us and our finances. It's touching you, Father, because we're yours. Anything that touches us touches you. Lord, you must overcome through us in this scenario so that there will be no loss and so that the world will not look and say, look, these Christians are just like us. We suffered loss and they suffer loss. We have been hurt and they have been hurt. What's the point of being a Christian? There's no difference. No, sir. No, sir. No, sir. No, sir. They're not going to say that about me. When people ask me when this is over, I'm going to tell them I sowed in famine and I reaped a hundredfold. I was blessed in greater measure during this difficult time than I would have been had the difficult time not come. Why? Because my God, when that attack tried to attack my finances, they touched my God because I'm his and he's mine and he birthed me. And because I have faith in him, he will come with overcoming power through my life and he will set me loose. He'll set me free from whatever the harassment is that's against me. And this Corona came, tried to touch my money. But you know what? The overpower, overcoming power of God caused me to increase beyond what I would normally increase. It tried to touch my body, but the overcoming power of God came on me and I was divinely protected and I never got sick. This is the testimony that believers must have. Otherwise, we're just like the world. We're just like the world. Hallelujah. We must remember because we're born of God, we overcome. He was born of God with faith and God delivered him. We have been born of God individually and corporately, and we have faith. We're only believe. Remember a week ago, Wednesday night, only believe. And we're holding our grip of faith Friday night, and we're in the rest of faith Friday night. And I'm repeating it again, in the rest of faith. We rest, we trust him. 
Therefore, God has to come. He has to, he's obligated and he wants to and he will come with overcoming power. We will overcome. So whatever you look like you're losing right now, whatever income it looks like you're losing, don't worry. Hold fast to what I'm teaching you, promise of life. Keep your confession right. Keep your faith strong. Keep your words right. Like I said in the, in the, in the vlog, in the video thing for April 1st today, keep your love walk right. Because if you will do these things before this is all over, before 2020 ends, you'll look back and the overcoming power of God in financial realm will have so met you to bless you and give you more than what you even had before, had this not happened. Health-wise, you'll have stronger bodies than you would have even had, had this not happened. In other words, when they come against us, they come against our Father, and He will deliver us, because we're born of Him. Praise God. I hope this has encouraged you tonight. You've witnessed not just a word that I had knew beforehand, but you've witnessed a divine orchestration of the Holy Ghost tonight where he took spontaneous utterance by the gift of prophecy, which I didn't know was coming, and then he gelled it and, 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 and mingled it perfectly from part A into part B of what I knew to preach. And that doesn't always happen. Believe me, that, that doesn't happen as often as you might think. So he, he has merged these two messages together, one beforehand I knew, one spontaneously when I stood up here, and he's trying to get something over to you. You're born of God, and you're going to overcome. Financially, you're going to overcome. Health-wise, you're going to overcome. In every way, you're going to overcome. Because when this thing tried to touch you, it tried to touch God. And because God takes it personal, like Jesus took it personal with Saul, God's, if you'll just trust him, if you, because you're born of him, if you just have faith, his overcoming power will flow through you and cause you to come out stronger than as if this had even happened. Praise God. Let me say this as I close. One congregation member mentioned to me, they spoke to me yesterday, and they said, Pastor, I was, uh, this is three, two weeks before all this happened. I was leaving one of the regular services when we were all still gathering, and I had a $20 kind of in my, in my wallet. You know, um, Bob Lemon would call it the secret place of the most high flesh. You know, he would joke about that, where you got that part that nobody knows about. And it's kind of like your money that you don't touch for anything. It's just, you know, nobody can touch it. Not even God can touch it. And she said, you know, it was just my emergency stash. There was just $20. And she said, as I walked out, I heard the Holy Ghost say, so that, so that. And she said, Lord, I don't want to sow that. And he said, so that. And so she sowed it. And then all this stuff happened and they, they own a business and they, they've, they've been affected negatively by this, of course. And she said, uh, uh, one of their clients in their business, even though they're not doing the business, I mean, they're not able to accomplish what the business is supposed to accomplish because they've been shut down. One of their clients uh, actually came to their place of business and said to them, handed them a check and said, even though you're not providing your services to me during this time, I know in my heart, I must still pay you. Even though you're not doing it, I must pay you as though you are and gave them a check that was a large check to cover a number of weeks of what their business provided, even though they're not doing the business. Basically, the person paid them for nothing. The person paid them to sit at home. The person paid them for free. And the Lord said to that lady, he said, if you had not sown that $20, I would not have been able to do this for you. That seed produced this harvest. You sowed in famine, but you reaped. And she said, out of her mouth to me, she said, Pastor, it was over a hundredfold. It wasn't just, <laughs> it was over a hundredfold on that seed. 
And so she, she looked at me and she said, people don't realize when God asks you to sow, he's not trying to rob from you. He's not trying to hurt you. He is setting you up. Seed is a setup for a miracle. Seed is a setup for a harvest. The great faith that took Isaac to sow seed in famine was a setup. God was setting him up for not only a harvest, a hundredfold harvest. So I encourage you, when God tells you to sow, sow, because he's setting you up for a miracle. He's setting you up for a breakthrough. If he did it for that lady, he'll do it for all of us. He doesn't love her more. He loves all of us the same. When this stuff tries to touch us, it touches him. Because we're born of him and because we have faith, his overcoming power will flow through us and cause us to get through this without even the smell of smoke on our clothes like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why? Because in this situation we find ourselves, the fourth man is in the fire with us and he will cause us to overcome. Glory to God.